Welcome to Second Star to the Left, a podcast of everything fantastic, strange, and science fictional. I'm your host, Matt, with my co-hosts. I'm Bert. I'm Meredith. But for the rest of this podcast, I want you to call me Librarian. Okay, Librarian. This- Thank you. <laughs> In the style of uh, Haosu, Bert, what's, what's your name then? Um, I have to think on mine. Um, sad. <laughs> sad? Okay. <laughs> Easy call. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's sad, librarian, and I don't know what the, I don't know what the hell I am. Um, Confused. I think you might, I think you might be a very messily designed character, Matthew. <laughs> what a fucking party. Sad librarian and confused. <laughs> Let's all go have a fucking picnic yeah. at a house. Woo! <laughs> vacation. Sad I, I librarian. Feel, I feel like it should be Librarian Morose. Is Morose good? Yes. For you or me? Because I'm for just you, sad. For you, for yeah, you. Why can't sad. I just be sad? Well, because it just feels... Uh, I guess you could just be sad. Thanks. I'm, a little bit sad I'm changing my name to Krav Maga. <laughs> anyway, can, uh, could one of you tell everybody what the fuck we're talking about? <laughs> this week we're talking... Well, we're on a podcast, uh, and we talk about sci-fi movies. Uh, um <laughs> In, in horror, because this is better, better red bump. Speculative. Uh, this speculative is an fiction. innovative program that we're on. We're talking about the cult film, I guess. Houseu. Yeah, this is a cult film. Yes. House. I don't want to begin with this one. Bert, this is your selection. I suggested this movie. What, where, you, you get to introduce it. So before I start sure. yelling. Haosu, <laughs> Japanese for house, is, um, it is a 1977 horror movie, Japanese horror movie. Toho made. Say that again? Toho made. Oh, Toho made. I thought you said homemade. I'm like, n- not really. Uh, kind of. In a way, it's a homemade thing. Um, it's directed by Nobuhiko Obayashi. Um, it's about a group of girls, the, the main girl and her group of friends, who go to her aunt's house for a small vacation and the, to, to get away. And the house ends up being possessed and evil. And as they sometimes are, it's, this is a totally normal film. Uh, there's really nothing unusual. <laughs> See, the best part is like you, you want to go into this movie just completely blind. Like you don't want to. Honestly, if you're listening to the show, I mean, just, you know, like and subscribe, comment and follow all that kind of stuff. But also just watch after the, that. Just, after that. Yeah. Just go watch the movie, though, because like before I explain before we get into how bad shit it is, because. Oh, oh, yeah. 
trigger warning for people with misophonia. This fucking film again now, has so many goddamn slurping noises. I'm really going to go not much shit. slurping. There's one scene with one watermelon. Scene. One of the, it caught me off guard. You've got one of those made-up nerd disorders. I will say, um, <laughs> don't... Uh, I would say definitely watch this film sober, which I assume I will come back <laughs> to mention later. Um, hoo-yoo-hoo. This, um, this was, I'm sorry, this was uh, a librarian weird, here. This was a weird film. Librarian may have been on some... Um, some illicit substances. Yes. Um, I mean, like, basically decriminalized substances at this point. Some substances. I was, I was while, on post While I librarian was, was watching. I was high on posting. Um, and it made Haosu... Exactly. It made Haosu hit different. <laughs> really, I don't even recommend... I recommend you get a full night's sleep before you <laughs> yeah. even watch this, you know? Like, don't even, don't even drink any caffeine. It, it's really just a bad... Maybe do some uh. meditation beforehand. <laughs> To get yourself in the right brain space? I don't even know. Man, just... You don't sound too into it. Is it the slurping? Well, the slurping was annoying. That's like like a two-minute scene. Nerd, do you want tryptophobia (laughs) too? Nerd. There's barely Uh, any. Okay, so apparently that's my name. Nerd. nerd, (laughs) See, I figured you'd go for, like, the baby baby cries and the... uh, No, here's actually what annoyed me the most about this film. Is the music. The music. Are you kidding? Okay, so it's perfect. No, no, no. This film is like I'm gonna scream in a really (laughs) surreal way. Very perfectly appropriate. Like I think it's if you think about it from like a really horror lens, and like if you read some of the backstory behind it, like the the story was really inspired by the director's work with his daughter. Like you know, these are sort of like childish fantasies, and I love the idea of you know the there's this beautiful symmetry of like this like woman. Coming into this little girl's life, the stepmom that she, um, it, her dad's married to stepmom, right? And she hates her, and so she enlists her aunt. She doesn't really hate spirit. her. She hates the idea of her, but yeah, yeah. Well, she she enlists her aunt's spirit to kill her, her stepmom, um, and like of. destroy her basically. And I think that's kind of like an interesting, a a childish horror story oh. of like that desire to like stop that other woman from coming to your life, so that you enlist your aunt, this like your your mother's sister to do that like that's it's really weird for me because like my biological grandmother died in a car accident when i was a uh or when my dad was like a teenager a very young teen and so he remarried very quickly mm-hmm. but like my relationship with my great aunts my actual like biological great aunts mm-hmm. it was always sort of this weird thing of like where she was sometimes like she felt like more my grandmother than right my remarried grandmother like just like things you pick up as a kid Right. And I don't know, I'm just thinking of this this movie within that context of like that replacement parent and how that feels and like who you might have for support to do that, like apart right. from the film's just like strict text. Well, I have a lot to say about that. This is I should preface this is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's definitely like up there with my favorite horror movies ever made. But the the subtext to this movie is so Oh, okay, well, first of all, I have to go back. Before I get into the serious business, this is one of my favorite soundtracks in a movie. The The Go Daigo songs are fucking incredible. The song at good. the end credits oh is so good. It's one of my favorite songs ever. Uh, cherries, were, cherries Were Made for Eating. Uh, incredible fucking seventies era, just so good. I can I can sing that the theme of the. I can sing it off the top of my head. It's so the verdict's good. in, folks. The soundtrack fucks. 
<laughs> the between between it makes me feel like I'm watching a Charlie Brown seventies like TV it's show, so like the good. the play theme, the play theme in particular. But it's so memorable. Oh, oh, between between the kung fu music and the horror music, that then they they typically contrast it to because the kung fu music is and then it goes it's just like fucking people slamming on keyboards and you're just like Jesus, I'm gonna die. Um, <laughs> it feels like you're gonna die just from the music. Yes. like it's so. This movie like has no chill. It. it Punches you it's, in the it's, face it's, it's at naked. all it's opportunities. Kind of, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's right out there. It's like naked. Oh, well, see, okay, on its face, yes, on its face, it is very like it is all there and and bombastic and crazy and and uh, manic. But like, I'm there's a lot of really good subtext to this movie. It's it's an art house movie made for like. Yeah. The non scary parts of this movie, which were which are so kind of like bizarrely shot to draw attention to themselves and like blocked mm-hmm. so strangely like everything about the non-horror parts of this movie I was, I've was i been thinking all afternoon and evening of how to describe it and I just stumbled across it it's like when you're especially in New York you're on the train and somebody starts talking to you and they seem coherent like they are at mm-hmm. least in the short term the words they're stringing together make some kind of sense but then when you like zoom out you realize it's gibberish, and you slowly start realizing that this person who, like, seems normal, like, falls really suddenly and quickly into the uncanny valley. Um, right. This movie is, the the non-horror aspects of it are that feeling to the point that when the horror ramps up, it, it doesn't feel like you have gone sort of up a hill and are, like, crescendoing and coming back down. It's just, like... The whole thing is a plateau signal of eeriness. Like, it doesn't have peaks and valleys, yeah. if that makes sense. No. Um, no, I mean, this is a movie where um, the the girls are trapped in a horrible, awful house that's killing them one by one, and they're, they're looking at each other going, oh, if only that guy who brought us here would get here. And then they turn they turn wistfully off to the left of the frame, frame and an old man eating ramen just jumps into the frame in the house and he just chews ramen at them with his mouth open and then it cuts to the, it cuts to the actual scene in the ramen house with the guy that's supposed to rescue them like that's they, her dad it's always like weird interstitial it's not her dad i'm pretty sure it's her dad yeah no it's a guy at the ramen place with the the guy that drove them there uh the guy that's um the that, teacher i think it's sweet is he didn't drive them yeah, there they had to not, take a train because he was late Right, he drove them to the train, but mm-hmm. then he's also he was also supposed to pick them up. Yeah, he's their teacher. He's one of their teachers. Yeah. Yes. But like the point is is he stops at a ramen place and there's this old dude with no teeth eating ramen. That it's not it's not anybody's dad. It's just like a guy that jumps into the frame and chews ramen at one of the girls and goes, ah, ha, 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 or whatever, like fucking jump scare. <laughs> you mean bad Naruto? See, I think I think when you learn, quote unquote, to cut movies, it's like, okay. So to not scare, to not like jar the audience, you need to like do like cross fades and fades to black and like establishing shots. This guy's like, Obayashi's like, no, no, I I do jump cuts. I have people jump into the frame from other scenes. I have a big giant black, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like the, the circle where it shows the person's face and then it cuts out. (laughs) It's like Looney Tunes. And then, uh, you know, oh, backdrops? Oh, buddy. You like backdrops? I, I, I want to put a backdrop in my backdrop. 
uh, they they get off the train and there's a backdrop and then you you pan out and there's a bigger backdrop. This man this that. man saw the first green screen of his life and immediately had to dab sweat off his forehead. He knew he was in love. I've heard interviews. He loves <laughs> green screens. He loves them because <laughs> it's just so fun. It's so quaint and funny. He doesn't care if effects. He's like an look. ideological ancestor to George Lucas. Yeah. No, 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 because he doesn't <laughs> care if effects look quote-unquote bad. He wants them to be otherworldly and surreal on purpose. Yeah. Like, he doesn't care about immersing or the realism. audience. Yeah, yeah, no, he's he's all absurdism, absurdism and surrealism and crazy stuff, so... Yeah, I mean, the parts where the effects were quote-unquote bad were some of the eeriest, most uncanny moments in the film. Mm-hmm. The piano scene is probably the worst effect in the movie but it's so it's probably the most disturbing part yes. like when when the lid closes when the the back lid closes and the leg goes flying and there's just blood all against the back of the wall so fucking geyser of blood and like that's a timing thing they had to time cuz it's all green screened and the blood is like completely separate from the actual shot and the music going dun, 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 dun. well actually it's playing like a fucking terrifying dissonant piano thing and the girl's like dancing around with fucking blue paint all over her. <laughs> so well, she, she holds up her like hands and she says, I don't, I don't have any fingers anymore. And she smiles. Yeah, because it's absurd. Like it's, it's, it's that melding of like, <clears throat> it's that melding of it. And, and Obayashi's talked about this. It's, it's the, the blend, it's, it's the line between comedy and horror. And he, he really understands that. Like when, when something goes from, that's why he got ideas from his kid was because his his 11-year-old daughter had most of the ideas in this movie. Like, she was playing piano, and she, she felt like the piano bit her fingers because it hurt. So, like, what if the piano bit your fingers? What if a person's face came in the fucking front door? You know, creepy-ass shit. Like, and that's honestly the absurdity the of it. Is what, makes what if it a girl's creepy. head came out of a well? What if you were chopping wood and the and wood came alive? And, and bit your yeah, ass. Yeah, what if you were chopping wood and the wood <laughs> came alive and fucked with you? But see, like, the comicalness of it mm-hmm. biting her ass is actually, like, makes it scary. Yeah, I will opinion. say that. Like, it, it, if you've ever spent a lot of time around, like, toddlers and preschoolers and early elementary schoolers, they say shit all the time that is only not mm-hmm. scary because they're very physically small. Um, and it's... And it's- <laughs> No, and it's this kind Sometimes of... Sometimes it's yeah, scarier. Yeah, they can't hurt you. They can't hurt yeah, you. It's this so kind of... So when a little kid tells you... gibberish. They'll just be like... They'll just look at you and be like, if a grasshopper was as big as a horse, do you think it could kill us? And it's like... <laughs> oh, okay, kid, sure. Mommy, do you think every time you sleep, your your dreams get saved and they get they get played back somewhere? Yeah. By the person who wants to kill yeah, you or exactly. whatever. Like, I don't know. Kids, like, fucking crazy kids shit. Kids say shit like that all the time. They very often say mm-hmm. it at night. Like, I could absolutely mm-hmm. see how just, like, keeping a tape recorder on hand. They wake for- you up to say it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they wake you up to say it. And, hey, I was just thinking. And they're pointing, <laughs> and they're pointing their 3DS camera at you. Um, <laughs> 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 like, I could absolutely see getting the, like, eerie moments from this movie just from keeping a tape recorder running on a six-year-old for two to three weeks 
Like, right. especially a six-year-old from before, like, YouTube unboxing videos, within three weeks, that child <laughs> is going to have put out hashtag shower thoughts that would make H.R. Geiger shudder. My favorite game is Banjo-Kazooie, <laughs> Super Mario, and oh, fuck. The whole 9-11 thing, yeah. Um, anyway, I'm explaining When you eat memes. coins, do you get bigger? Um, what was your question about... Um, I was going to ask you, like, why do you like this film so much? You said it was one of your all-time favorite okay. horror films. Like, what elevates this event among other ones? For so you? there's two centerpieces to this movie. The first cat one... guy, first and foremost. So obviously the cat is huge. Well, I mean scenes. It is a big, like, the a cat is a large cat. Yes, the cat is incredibly important, but to the plot. Um, but, no, there's two, like, thematic centerpieces to this film, like, scene-wise. And the first one is um, on the train. When they have the flashback sequence where she's going through her aunt's and mother's history, history. Yeah. right? And there's a point when um, it, it's and it really sets the dichotomy for this movie because, like, they're having it's ostensibly a silent movie, like it's mocked up like a silent film in black yeah, and yeah. white, and the kids are talking over what's happening. They're like narrating it, but they're also like so they don't really care i mean they care but they're so jovial about all the, this they're not just narrating stuff. it they're they're commenting on the the, the film within a right. film right right so like um like the the aunt's fiance i guess i don't know if they were yeah it was, it was basically her fiance lover right. intended He's, betrothed like he he like has to he gets a draft card to go off to war in in the big ww2 and the kids are like Oh, it's a draft card and not a, a housekeeping book or whatever. Like they're laughing and giggling, and then um, like they kiss and like the the frame melts. Like they do that thing where like the I don't know how it actually works in real life. I guess the film like melts in the projector. You know how you get that like effect, yeah. and the kids are like, "Oh, it's a kiss of fire" or whatever, and then they're like, "Oh, the like it's just manic." And um, the, the guy gets shot to death in a plane and and they're like oh he's manly and you're even manlier manlier kung fu ha 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 because they all have goofy names and they're just joking about it the whole time and this all like this all like comes to a head when i mean he's he's assumed dead and he's gone and his aunt's like basically a widow but she's still like holding out that he's gonna come back and then her mother gets married and they shoot the camera shot of her in her dress which by the way is the same scene at the very beginning of the movie when her friend shoots the same exact shot and right when they shoot it the fucking atomic bomb goes off and the kids go oh it's it's cotton candy like they don't give a shit about about this past that all these people went through and i did want to read something from an interview um with him real quick that i read because it would really tie into this um ultimately somebody asked him where does your distinct film language and style come from he said and this by the way this is this is an interview from last year he died April of this year of oh. lung cancer. Yeah. Um, he said, ultimately, what is important is that a person's life is the one life that the person has to live. In my life, the most important thing is that I was a military boy during the war. I believe that if Japan lost the war, an adult would be kind enough to kill me. If Japan lost, we were supposed to kill ourselves. But at seven years old, the idea of holding a sword and stabbing my own body felt frightening, and I couldn't figure out how we were supposed to die. The old man next door who used to tell me out of kindness that he'll help me by decapitating me if Japan loses was already running around town shouting peace as soon as the war was over. Adults always lie. That's what my generation learned. What was righteous yesterday in Japan changed overnight to say that the Americans were correct. 
We were told overnight that Japan's sense of justice was wrong. So how do we continue to live? My generation could not become part of the wartime, the pre-war, nor the post-war generation. We were told that Japan will disappear if we lost, but the great empire of Japan continued to remain. I was a second grader when Japan lost, and for two years after that, my score remained being the national school. And at the national school, it said at the beginning of our textbooks, that the school nurtured children who would bravely die for the great Japanese empire. You would think a school like that would disappear after the war, but it remained for two more years. Uh, Japan is a very strange country. So... I'm kind of talking a lot here, but the the other centerpiece is the makeup scene, which is kind of why I compare this a lot to the Love Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, when she's putting on the makeup and she sees like a demon version of herself, and then she sees her aunt, the glass breaks. This is an incredible scene. Yes. Her face fucking breaks apart, and she turns into fire while there's fire. So, like, ostensibly, what this movie is about, this movie is about a few things to me, but the aunt represents you know, wartime Japan, like that generation, the the loss and like the the older concepts of that generation of Japan, and especially of womanhood, like... Yeah, they specifically mention an arranged yeah. marriage at the beginning. There's a lot of gender happening in yeah. this film. Yeah. Then, like, you know, all these girls that go to this house, they seem wacky and cartoonish. They all have, like, names that are just supposed to tell you their characters in one word. They're um, very abstract, yeah, I just see them as abstractions of this one girl's personality. And essentially, this is about... this. It's like a coming-of-age movie. It's like discovering, like... It's going from a girl to being a woman. Learning that through the lens of your your elders and the trauma that they had to go through in their life. So yeah, it's it's like a much deeper movie than I think it seems. Because it's also a movie where, you know, a girl's head comes out of a well and bites another girl on the ass like well, there's, there's <laughs> so a degree to which that yeah. is also a distinctly japanese um because mm-hmm. uh in japanese folklore horror and humor live like super close together like most of most right. of the yokai if you just read the dry facts about them seem kind of like just funny or goofy um and a lot of the time in Japanese horror, like I remember the, some of the first Japanese horror movies I saw, like everybody else, were the were uh, the Japanese versions of The Ring and the Grudge. A lot of the, or like look at Junji Ito, like in in mm-hmm. in Japanese folk traditions and modern uh, Japanese storytelling, like goofiness uh, goofiness sits right next door to terror. Right. Yeah. So I know, like a lot of this movie comes off as goofy, but I mean, it is goofy. Like, that's the idea. I don't think the scary stuff in this movie would be as scary if you did not have the absolutely yeah. wild beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't have a guy turn into bananas. You didn't have a guy, the same guy, like, get a bucket stuck on his ass and do a fucking Benny Hill sketch down the stairs. That's that kind of contrast. And, and Obayashi's talked about this. Like, you can't have... I think he he did an interview, uh, like a live um, forum with a bunch of filmgoers where he said, like, you know, if you go on a date and the weather's horrible, like it's just fucking pouring rain and terrifying outside and it's hot or whatever, like that will accentuate how much you like the other person. Like it will contrast how how good you think the date is. You will remember it specifically better or worse, depending on the contrast of what's going on. Mm-hmm. 
he, he so yeah he understands what he's doing in this movie <laughs> i understand how it would seem like a crazy person made it and if they did it, it was his 11 year old daughter and uh i'm interested in how this movie got like funded and made because i there's how i cannot imagine sitting just sitting around a table full of producers and telling them right either the shoot or the work version of what this movie is and having a bunch of like stuffy salary man uh like toho executives go like yeah no sure make it you know what i mean no one wanted to make it yeah no one um, wanted to make this movie. so yeah what's that story everyone felt all the directors that were part of the toho studio were like if we make this we're going to it'll be the end of our careers right and he pr- he uh put forward the idea that he was willing to do it but um he wasn't a staff member at toho so he wouldn't like uh, they turned him down at the time. Yeah, and and this was a this was a case where it was like a studio project. This is kind of like when um, it's it's like when we get a movie over here where somebody shops the script around forever with a basic idea, mm. and it just goes from it pings back and forth between directors. So ostensibly, they were like, "We want Jaws, but with a house." That was literally all. That was the main idea for this movie. Toho just wanted Jaws with 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 a house they wanted a haunted house movie like jaws and that went around and around and it got to obayashi and how would you make a haunted house movie like jaws well <laughs> see the funny part was the the funny part what what happened was they approached obayashi because obayashi was he had a history as a kind of experimental filmmaker and da 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 they just wanted like a script he was working at the studio or whatever yeah and so he wrote it with his kid uh, his daughter Chigumi, and um, he worked with his wife, I think. And then um, it got shopped around to directors, and nobody wanted to do it because everybody's like, you know, I'm not interested in this crazy fucking idea. And then during that time when it was getting shopped around to directors, like he promoted it like endlessly. Like he made, uh, I mean, the soundtrack was already finished before the movie was even done. I think he had like merchandise and like posters and stuff um he had mock-ups all done like they were bandying about like this movie is gonna come out and there wasn't a director attached so finally they were like you know what you just do it because obviously you care so hard about it nobody else cares and uh it was a big hit um it well was. the critics hated it but it the critics didn't like it. teens loved it oh teens loved this movie really like, yeah it was a, it 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 uh let me see reception According to the wikipedia stuff no, I mean, and I've heard him say so too. That I mean, it ostensibly made his career. Like it was very big at the time. It was popular, and it's also fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a crazy movie, and it shows um, and it shows titties, which for the teens cannot be oversold. I, I did suppose. kind of consider like I was well, kind of also. How old were these actresses? That was the main thing I questioned when I watched it again. But it's. Difficult because, like, I don't feel like most of it is even sexualized, sexualized at like, all. Yeah, like a Western framing of this would, like, even the scene of like, you know, here's this girl's underwear, here's her clothes. Yeah, that's on, probably like, the most like goofy scene, but it's so childish. It's so yeah. Like, well, that's yeah. that's what I'm trying to say is like we <laughs> in the West, we definitely like. I can't speak to other cultures, but I can speak right. to our culture for sure that we fetishize and and. Um, sexually objectify children like like take the response recently to the that French film that was a documentary cuties, about yeah cuties yeah that was really quick I'm not comfortable dwelling on this for an extended period of time right right 
that's fine. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't feel like in the movie it's it's meant to be a big deal. Um, there There is, like, there's, like, the incredible, I think one of, like, the craziest shots in this movie or sequences is the kung fu death sequence. Oh, it where, was oh, where her le- where her legs come out and Liu Kang bicycle kick the cat painting. Right, but before that they have the whole fucking surreal like vertigo sequence yeah, where yeah. she's like her head is flying through like fucking scenes of it looks like Henry Darger artwork. Yeah. It it actually looks exactly like it, was, which is like Who was Henry Darger? The guy who did the weird He wrote like the huge giant yeah. book where he like did collages of girls and had like yeah, um, yeah. massive fantasy books and they're all like it's all like self-drawn artwork. Yeah. It looks like that. It's it's like literally you're watching somebody's art pieces on the screen like whoa. I don't know. I this is the like I said, it's one of my favorite movies. There's not much I found wrong with this movie. When did you um, first I watched it? it like, I first saw it um maybe like six or seven years ago. Um, it is in the Criterion Collection, um, and it's got like I don't even know if I'd call it a cult following. I think now it's established as it's established as like a good movie, like a cinema yeah. movie. But the thing is, is like, do you think? I, if you if you're a random viewer, you come to it, you're going to read it as a cult film. Like that's think, how yeah, I you, initially read do you it. You think yeah. cults like blank and like cult fandom is meaningfully still a thing in the 2020 internet age? Uh, yeah. Okay, but yes like no. it's much more underground because because we have access to so much stuff. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I don't know. Do you think like Alita is a cult film? Oh, no, absolutely Like not. the Robert Rodriguez film. I think just nobody likes it. Um, like with Avatar. Lots of people like Alita. I, That's what I mean. I think... Like, like for me, I would define cult film... Again. Like, I would define, like, a cult film these days as... Or, like, what cult has come to mean... Right. ...is a particular style of film that's a little bit harder to get into. It's not super accessible. The production values aren't super high, but there's a lot of passion about it. And there's a lot of things that make it endearing. Sure. Something like wild zero, you know, is a cult film, but the idea of like a cult film that like specifically has a, a community built around that's it. That's usually what I don't I think, think that exists as much anymore because it is so much easier to get into those things than you would, than you would, you know, say 20 years ago. Right. So I think that's the dichotomy. That's why I brought up Alita because the fan base around Alita is very strong. Really? Um, Around the movie? Yeah. Oh yeah, there's yeah. some massive under like undercurrent of people who who like love that movie and will go to I mean it's probably But just... that was a that was a product though of the times. Right, like, right. Because Alita was put in not like um Alita's put into a dialogue with Wonder Woman right. about feminist versus anti feminist films. And people were purposely reading Alita as an anti-feminist film against the supposed feminism of Wonder Woman. Like well, that was the, those are the battle lines that were drawn. I I not that I disagree I do agree with what you're saying, but I would also say I I won't take as much as I did not like Alita and think it's just a Oh yeah yeah. But the I politics will say, I would not like, agree with. I will say the the people that like it, I'm sure a lot of them just really did watch it and go, I love this movie. Like that's fine. How do you I'm okay with How that. do you feel about the um the DC fans that were uh, clamoring for the Snyder cut. Is that a cult fandom at this point? I feel like, see, that's, this is a good point. So there's also lines to draw where like, like that's, I feel like a lot of that is just a fandom thing. It's people that are, that have always loved DC and they love those superheroes. So they will defend them to the death, no matter what happens there. And again, there are people who authentically love 
Marks. Zack Snyder somewhere. Exactly. But most of them I just assume are. Marks. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. It's just that Stan culture shit yeah. that I don't really care for. Whereas this, I feel like, I feel like this is a case where a lot of, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of scroll girls who grew up with it, who probably did stan it at the time, but it, this is a case where critical conception came around on it and everybody was like, oh wait, this is an important film. Um, if you really look at it, uh, as opposed to at the time when they were like, yeah, it's got cheap effects and it's fucking wacko. Like we can't take it seriously because movies aren't made like this. Um, by today's standards, it's, it's still wacko. That's what I was going to say is like, like I have a deep seated love for this film and it is a big film, but I think for a lot of people, it's a big movie because it's quote unquote insane or it's a mind fuck movie or whatever you know like that kind of thing i think it's doing um, a very interesting things with like shot composition and mise-en-scene and like symbolism right um it's not crazy it's not like whoa crazy to me it's crazy in the sense uh, to go back to our earlier discussion uh, it's crazy in a child's sense and that's why i appreciate for me what i appreciate the most about it was i feel like i'm entering into this young girl's mind in mm-hmm. terms of like her fears what would horror look like to her? Yeah. And what is this, what is the horror of like, if we want to get like super into like the hereditary and the witch and midsummer, you know, like the social horrors versus the personal horrors type thing. Like to me, like I'm reading it that way and I'm seeing this like, you know, connection with her aunt and her stepmom. I read it as a childish fantasy of wanting to have power over what's going on when you don't have any power in the situation at all. Like, the the first time she greets her stepmom, she shakes her hand. And the end of the film, when she burns her stepmom, you know, uh, alive, basically, she's also shaking her hand. And that to me is sort of this like symmetry of like, I had the power to like, I was welcomed to this family into under duress, but now I'm taking this power back. And I'm saying like, no, you're not, you don't exist anymore. I, I don't, again, I mean, this is a very childish fantasy of what she wants to do. Um, and and her desires. It also kind of yeah. It also kind of feels like if Cabin in the Woods were made in the seventies in Japan. <laughs> yeah, because it's very uh, by it's, not it's by very, not Joss Whedon. Yeah, it's very clear. It is very clear. I hate that motherfucker. We haven't, we haven't <laughs> done a five minutes hate on Joss Whedon in a while. If you're out there, we will. If you're out there, we Joss, will have watch an back. It's hands on sight, motherfucker. If I ever I know see you're it. listening to the oh, show, well, Josh. So but, but, the- but 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 but. <laughs> This is a deconstruct. This is to a certain extent also just it, it's it's commenting on Japanese society and it's you know it's it's using symbols to really clearly tell you what's going on inside her head, but it is in conversation with other horror movies at the time and it's very clearly yep. like a deconstruction of seventies horror. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The the other thing is like I I think I think with the aunt and all that stuff like I think it's just I mean the story I get out of this movie and it's it's pretty abstract in places so i don't think like i mean i don't really want to compare it too much to a lynch thing because it's not but like i like that sort of thing once the movie gets abstract enough like the meaning you take from it is relevant only to you um but i feel like it's like the getting possessed by her aunt and her and her house and and you know escaping to there away from the stepmom and overcoming the stepmom essentially it's it's basically just a coming of age thing it's like you lose Mm-hmm. She's gotten old enough that she is old enough to defy authority and be her own person. And that's essentially like to do that. A lot of times you just have to throw out, you know, the, the sensibilities of the older generation and 
the hangups and all that kind of stuff, which is mostly what this is to me. It's like, I, I think a lot of people would read into it as, you know, oh, look at how this is a depiction of all this pain from World War II and, and the bombings. And I mean, yes, but also like, it's the... She's very distant from that. Like exactly, the, the actual character the doing away of, with of that. Gorgeous, yeah, she's not, she doesn't connect with it. And like the, they're sort of like, uh, their tones around the the actual horror that we the viewer are seeing is like very they're jokey about it or like they like they don't take it seriously it's it's uh airy to them yeah it's a washing away of of the past like you can't let that you can't let it run all subsequent generations forever basically i, I think that's the idea i don't know obayashi said as much he's he's a pretty candid filmmaker and um he he definitely like super hated Trump. He was still making movies a few years ago. I, I think he did a film version of The Drifting Classroom, which I really need to see because that's like a crazy manga. Um, What's The Drifting Classroom? It's like a manga. It's it's a surrealist manga about these school children. It's it, it's kind of it, kind of similar to this. So yeah, I have I have to see that and do more investigation into that. But what this man what this man's could do with access to digital photography boggles the mind. Although I assume he still he was still very into green screens up to the very end. Yeah, he he's. Um, I think he had talked about it. Like some people had asked him, like what influenced him and what directors drove him to direct the way he did, and and he had basically said like, you know, my influence as a director was like. He said he like went out to a field with a camera, like a little three mil, like one of the cheapy. I think it's three millimeter. It might be eight eight millimeter. I think it's eight millimeter, like, like the really cheapo cameras. And he had like tied it to a string, and whirled it around in a circle and thrown it at the sunset to try to get the angle of what being thrown at the sun would be like. He's like his 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 concerns with directing are like, I want to direct movies like only I had the idea to direct. Like, he's not even interested in <laughs> how would Kurosawa shoot this scene? He's just like, I had a crazy <laughs> idea. How do I film it? Like, because I'm the only one who would who would even think to film this, which is like, that's just incredibly cool to me. I mean, that's the only reason you have a piano eat a girl alive. <laughs> well, I mean, in and, a very and would I sense, say that's that the only reason you have a piano, you know, right? As well, we, when I say that, though, like, viewers, like, listeners at home are probably like, yeah, well, you know, they probably, like, show, I don't know, they probably show her hands. No, it eats, it's a, there's it's a check, fucking There's Chekhov's piano. gun, and then there's Obayashi's piano. If you show a household object, a refrigerator, a piano, a mattress, it's going to eat someone <laughs> by the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, Super, uh, Mario, well, 60, a, a, Super a Mario clock. 64 borrowed a lot from Obayashi, I think, because that was a very scary oh, piano. yeah. In the booze house. Fucking hell. Does a clock eat anybody in, in Super Mario? Yeah, you spend a lot That's of time really dying. Haunting you spend a lot of time dying inside a clock in Mario 64. The music is so good. Oh my god. I'm going to make you... I'm going to send you some of these tracks. No, it reminded me of... I grew up watching this um, Charlie Brown short a lot. Charlie Brown like goes to camp. Okay. Like He goes to this like uh, wilderness camp and does a, a, a whitewater <laughs> rafting race. Yeah. And just like... The same music being like constantly played, just like three different themes basically constantly being played, and they cycle through those three themes. And this film just like made me feel that way. And like the play theme, I was like, oh, I feel like I'm like going, like I feel like Pepper Patty's about to pop out and be like, "Hey, Charlie Brown." She is. I was just thinking the subtitle was Charlie Brown goes to camp and gets 
fucking murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I had a big crush on Peppermint Patty when I was a kid. Uh, you should have known, right? Mm. Unrequited? <laughs> well, she's imaginary, so... No. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. That means she loves me. That means she loves me. Mary, do you want to dial back to the, the Joss Whedon hate? Yes. And, fuck him. Um, fuck him. The fuck Justice him. League, actually. Let's tap into it. Joss? Joss? So, if you're out there, you better grow eyes in the back, motherfucker, because I'm coming. Um... DC recently had their event when they announced the Snyder Cut because it's not just a, a recut of the film, it's a remake. Like they're spending like yeah. $80 million on it. But one of the things that people noted that watched the fandom, as well as called, um, thing was how much shit talking there was of Joss Whedon and like from the, the fans that had sort of organized to have the redone. Oh film. no, making Batman so versus Superman watchable I, is the only good thing that Joss Whedon's ever done. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that that is a contentious topic now, and so you may have well, you might have unexpected allies against Joss mm-hmm. Whedon from the Justice League. Yeah, no. if you've ever okay. read, if you've ever read a comic book and you try to talk to me, die. Um. Here's here's an interesting. <laughs> all right, now I'm I'm put in an interested an interesting position. Is do I hate. Do I hate Zack Snyder or your Joss Whedon more? Like I I. I it's I have exciting tough. news, Bert. They've manufactured more than one bullet. <laughs> but they're getting really expensive. I just FYI. mean, like, as a filmmaker, like, it's definitely. I think it's oh, probably Snyder. Snyder. Snyder has Snyder has done more to enable and but like I would so much like I would I would so much rather run into Zack Snyder on the street than, yeah, than run into Joss Whedon. Joss you know? Whedon has normalized being. A sex pest foot guy. Zack Snyder has normalized being a fascist, st- being a fascist stepdad who owns a used car dealership, and like I think the second type is a lot more destructive to the world than the first type. Hmm. It's a tough call. Like I don't think of him as. Look, I know he makes. Well, arguably he makes fascist movies, mm, but like my not really my arguably. thing with Z- my thing with <laughs> yeah, but I think he just makes. I think he just makes fascist films because he likes fascist media without even like tapping into why or how. Mm-hmm. Like he just likes Batman and Superman so fucking much, you know, like that he wants to fucking make exact replicas of the fucking comics he read. Like I don't think whereas Joss is like mm, my fucking strong female characters and they're fucking <laughs> They're fucking skimpy outfits. Yeah, they're pities or whatever. The fucking <laughs> asshole. Like, you know, he's just so much more... He's, he knows what he's doing. That's the I difference. think you have, you could make very good arguments, and maybe this will be a special bonus episode oh, for us God. one day. No, no, no. Presenting the who is who's worse Zack Snyder versus Joss Whedon and like have like people present their case because I think you could make a very good case on either side yeah. uh, like Joss Whedon's like I sort mean, of like masquerade feminism filmography sort of like that wise. sort of like predatory feminism or pre- uh, feminism is the wrong term but like yeah. predatory male thing Soft versus boy. Zack Snyder's like yeah. predatory male thing I think could they're different flavors I think you could argue it would be interesting. Like at least, at least when Zack Snyder has a woman show up, like there's electric guitar. I boring. would like to present to the court the film Sucker Punch. Um, I I know. Okay, filmography wise, Snyder this, this is, is a so much worse. He's so much worse. But like Josh Alien is Resurrection like, did give me Winona Ryder and Sigourney Weaver almost. The yeah, same. and Cabin in the Woods isn't that. Yeah, bad. Cabin in the Woods is a fine film. It's fine. 
And, you know, X-Men was okay, except for the Joss Whedon part. Which X-Men? He rewrote it. The first one, he rewrote it. Oh, yeah, that's the he's weakest a, X-Men okay. film. We need to go back and watch X2 at some point. Did Brian Singer do it? Oh, yeah. Fuck. He did all. He did one, two, and then... Um, I mean, we'll pirate later ones. I mean, we'll borrow well, yeah. my friend's copy because I don't want to give him any money. You know what I mean? Um, Bert, it's 2020. Who's paying for so? Who's paying for the media that they consume? Um, everybody does that. That's why we have Netflix and Amazon and Amazon Prime and Hulu and Vudu and HBO Max and Showtime and I could go and on. And Bingle and Quibi and Shutter and, and Tingle Flip and, and YouTube uh, and YouTube uh, Red and Box and everybody's, Bingle. I mean, geez, I pay $500 in monthly subscriptions alone just so I can watch Heart movies check. for this podcast. Support the Patreon, please. <laughs> Envelope. Um, where I can, can you find you on social media? Tax deductible quippy. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's tax deducting from quippy. <laughs> I'm at refreshing time uh, and at Coriolis music. I'm at mayor squared m e r underscore s q u a r e d on twitter.corn. And you can find me on Twitter at ape notorious. Follow the cast at Second Star Cast. Email us secondstarcast at gmail.com. We never check it though. Now, Matt, uh, Katie's what? not here, but where would you uh, find her on Twitter in case you wanted to find Katie on, on the Twitter.com? At AnimeWeedFart69. <laughs> oh. I channeled Dennis Quaid. I was like, I was thinking back to Interspace and I was like, how would Dennis Quaid say the mic's off. Oh, like I've been sitting in for the last five minutes. A log came through and tore my panties Fans off. Fans on. Goodbye. <laughs> no, I was, <laughs> Till to next put, time. I was trying to put a lo-fi closer for the pot. Time passes on and I'm older. Sometimes I knew it passed me by. Looking for someone I could talk to. Someone to answer all the why My heart has cried, but I'm stronger now I guess my life was meant to roam People come and go, yet alone I feel What is this lifetime gonna show?